Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. We're talking about Mariv, we're talking about Hashkivenu and the blessing after Hashkivenu, which I don't know if it has a name exactly. And we're going to go back after Hashkivenu. We're going to go back over Hashkivenu because we didn't talk about it enough. We, we got off on a tangent about Satan. Do Jews believe in Satan? Um, so I'm going to uh, read through it quickly, my freehand translating. Uh, cause us to lie down or help us lie down, Hashem, uh, our God, peacefully, and cause us to arise to life, spread over us the tent of your peace, and... Um, guide us is okay with your good counsel and save us for the sake of your name and protect us and um, shelter, remove from us enemy, pestilence, violence, hunger, and suffering. Um, I think the suffering there, Yagon, I think probably means illness. And uh, remove... Ad- the adversary or Satan or adversarial forces from both in front of us and behind us and shelter us under the shadow of your wings for you are a God who is our protector and savior for you are a God sovereign who is merciful and compassionate guard our going and our goings and comings in English, in Hebrew, it's going and going and coming in English. We say comings and goings. So I'm going to translate it into idiomatic English guard our comings and goings uh, for life and peace now and forever. Blessed are you Hashem who protects your people, Israel uh, eternally. By the way, I want to point out that in the Chatima, in the, the bracha, Baruch Hashem part, that's the first part where we mention Jews in this bracha. Everything is in the plural, but there's nothing in the plural that is necessarily about the Jewish people, because this salvation is not about uh, splitting the sea or anything historical. It's rather you know, protect us from uh, bad forces and bad things that happen in the world because you are a, a, God, a God of protection. That is your nature. That's your characteristic or habit. It's mm. at the end that we say protector of Israel. Um, okay, so first of all, before we um, talk about the bracha as a whole, let's come back to Satan. And for those who may not believe literally in the existence of Satan, how would you um, interpret this in the context of the bracha? It's a thought mm-hmm. question. Which that's not, it's not a, can you read my mind question yes. that has a right answer. It's like, what do you think? How do you understand it? Well, it's pretty much, to me, pretty much like the, uh, uh, in Pesuke de Zimra, where we're, we're saying that we want protection from, I think that's where it is, or maybe it's in the Amidah, from, from our adversaries. Okay. Meaning, meaning at, at, in, in, in the uh, context of litigation of being okay being sued so, which would be human so you understand this to be human adversaries it, or an understanding is human adversaries okay mm-hmm. good joanna 
I have a different understanding, actually. Everything until that point is about external forces. Uh-huh. I read the remove the Satan almost as like remove the Yetzir Hara from us, remove from us. You know, we've now talked about all these external forces Remove from us the internal force that causes us to do wrong things in the In- world. Internal adversaries. Yeah. Okay, good. Other thoughts? I was asking, you know, why do you go to Mariv? I'm asking you, how does this work for you? What are you thinking when you say this word? I think these are unseen adversaries. And I think in Pasuke, I think it was in Pasuke de Zimra, we talked a lot about real, real life adversaries. Okay. Uh, fear-based and, and imagine, not, not imaginary, spiritual. Okay, got it. So very different than what Michael said. So we have sort of three, uh, uh, and yours, by the way, could be, uh, you know, similar to what Joanna said, uh, could be spiritual internal, could be spiritual and external. Larry, I'm, I'm, calling, you, to, I'm calling on you. Yeah, you can raise to, your hand. I was trying to avoid the discussion. I know, you were trying to hide in the back row of class. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm calling because on you. obviously. I just want to know what you think. How does it work for you? I'm serious. It's a serious question. So obviously I do maybe made it obvious, maybe not obvious. <clears throat> I do not think of Satan as Satan, the devil. I don't think of it as a force in any um, um, fantastical way. Um, but not to make it too personal, I, I think like a lot of other people, fight against negative thoughts and negative feelings, mm-hmm. which for reasons... I'm feeling right now. I don't like that. I I, I want to feel uplifted. Okay. So this Good. prayer, yep. this prayer, in general, is basically for me, um, very powerful, very personal and emotional prayer that tells me that I need to have a, for want of a better way of saying it, a positive attitude as opposed to a negative attitude. Sure, there are. There are um, objective, objectively negative and, and, and harmful elements out there in society and in the world. Yeah. When we mention enemies or pestilence, starvation and sword. Yeah. But one of the most um, harmful of all is the one that comes from inside of us. Mm-hmm. Joanna called it the Yetzer Ara, mm-hmm. which is for me slightly different. Right. Because, than- right, right. Because jo- you're both talking about internal negatives. The Yetzirah is that force which wants to make you do bad stuff. And you're seeing it more, I'm going to call it more, either different or more broadly, it sounds like, but internal. Or or even more psychologically. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, I mean, we could trivialize it or even make it profound and go on forever. But but this prayer is telling me to look on the bright side of life. Got it. And not to be so negative. Yeah. And I can do something about it. Uh-huh. And that's my God. My God yep. is the God that says, you can do this. Good. Thank you. So uh, that's interesting. I want to point out it's, it's, a, it's a, um, an interpretation that is not totally obvious. I'll put it that way. About a prayer that does talk about, after all, of, you know, famine and starvation and, and the sword, violence. Right. So it's a prayer that actually talks quite explicitly about an awful lot of very concrete 
bad things that can happen to people, right? And for you, it's more internalized. Good. Thank you. Meyer? Um, I, what I find interesting about this is the placement. So, yeah. so basically from in, from in front of us, from behind us. Yeah. So where the manifestation of the Satan, right, is that before us in time, in, behind us in time, in front of us in placement physically, behind us in placement physically. Uh-huh. To me, that is part of what's interesting about this phrase uh-huh. is we're standing in the middle essentially. Uh, and we are, you know, we have this, um, unexplicable, I suppose we can put it that way, kind of thing to fear that is either before us or behind us. And then it, moving forward. Okay, sorry, myself, I'm sorry, Meyer, I want to interrupt you for a second. Go ahead. Rather than inexplicable, I, I want to rephrase it as forces that we don't necessarily fully recognize and understand. Right. Sorry. Now go on. Sorry. To no, that's great. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. But then it goes, so, you know, again, you know, sheltering us in the, and again, something that also is very hard to see and imagine the, sh- yeah. you know, the shelter of your wings. Yeah. You know, that's again, a, a sort of a physical manifestation of an idea. Yes. Um, and uh, again, putting us somewhere geographically where we're now yeah. underneath a shelter. So I think that's uh-huh. interesting to me that there is a, that we've been creating these kind of physical ideas for something that is essentially our proximity to fear. Uh-huh. Right. Proximity to fear and, and protection from those things which we fear. Right. right. Uh, I just want to raise the, you, you mentioned something. So I just want to uh, uh, sharpen it as a question just for people to think about. Um, uh before us and behind us, is it just a literary trope of like from A to Z? Is it just me, which is a, a merism, meaning does it just mean everywhere on all sides? Or is there actually something meant by that which is in front of us and that which is behind us? There's two possible ways. You could say, oh, it's just a literary way of saying 360, Right. Or th- does it actually mean something? Um, there were a few other hands up. So Ilana, follow up on that. Ilana, yeah, Ilana Michael Allen. That's the order I'm calling for the moment. Yeah. So um, just about the Fanecha Mecharenu. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm too spaced out. To okay. Get Front of us, before us, behind us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it could also be before us, what we can see or what we can perceive, uh-huh. and after or rather behind us, what we cannot see or uh-huh. perceive, say, with our own Good, because I, I don't know what's happening behind my back, right? Because unlike the teacher, what the teacher said, I do not have eyes in the back of my head, right? Remember, you thought that sometimes when, when you were a kid, teachers, some of them, they have eyes in the back of their head, but nope, we don't. So we don't know what's coming at us from behind. Unless you work for Mossad, then you better. You might. Okay. Good. Who? Uh, then I. Then was Michael. Then Alan. That, that's exactly what I was going to say. Okay. It, Great minds thinking alike. Alan. Not to beat a dead horse, but that's what I was going to say as well. But with lots of with great an, minds. With, with, yeah. with an explanation. Yeah. To add something to that, because I was try, I, I was looking at Midrashim about this very point. 
in trying to put something together because it has always troubled me. And I came up with something dealing with the Akedah. Because uh, right before the Akedah, we have Satan in, in Midrash trying to prevent Abraham from being able to proceed. Uh-huh. It has the rivers rising and rising and rising. And Abraham sees that and is able to go forward and goes to Mount Moriah and is able to proceed uh, through the Akedah. But what happens immediately afterward? The rabbis go and say in Chayesara that what caused Sarah's death, it was the same Satan when he couldn't get Abraham in front, went behind his back and whispered into Sarah's ear, look what's happening. Your, your, your husband is about to sacrifice your son. Uh-huh. And that's what caused her to die. So it's a sense of Satan before him. And that didn't work. And they went behind his sense and metaphorically stabbed him in the back by doing something he didn't know that caused the death of his wife. Okay, thank you. Good. Other thoughts on this? It doesn't have to be on before us and behind us, but any other thoughts about how you understand Hashkivenu? I'll tell you what my brother Ellie said. I was discussing with him last week after I said, you know, I have a student who really doesn't believe in Satan and I don't know what I'm going to do about that person in class. Uh, my brother said that he once heard from Rabbi Jack Reamer, who said, um, Satan, psychologically, Satan um, Milfanenu in front of us is the forces that oppose us. It's that which we feel is anti us, whatever it is we want to accomplish or what we need in the world. And Satan Meacharenu is the psychologically, it's the pat on the back. It's the force like the HRRA that says, you are just doing a great job. That's the Satan that's behind us. Um, when, we're, when, we, when we feel too flattered by what we've done, and that leads to narcissism. So protect us both from the adversary oppo- that opposes us and the adversarial force that says, you're great. So anyway, Rabbi Jack Reamer said that. Ilana? So um, this, is, this is a sort of a take on... Um, <laughs> Okay, so milfanenu, um, that could also be like the obstruction to yeah. moving forward, yeah. right? Yes. And uh, the acharenu would be sort of the opposite, like, you know, the wind in our sails, what, what you know, pushes us forward rather than what pats us on the back. Uh-huh. And I guess arguably the, the sense of the obstruction as, you know, could be like, Satan, because it's our lack of faith in uh-huh. being able to, um, you know, to move forward, to go, do good, etc. And the sense of something pushing us along would be the illusion that um, that it's <laughs> that it's easy, or that somebody or something else is doing it for us. Uh huh. Good. Good. Okay, uh, Jeff. Jeff, last comment, and then I want to step back and look at the blessing as a whole. Go ahead, Jeff. I was just wondering whether it might be time-based. And, Go ahead. You know, almost think of it as as uh, forces not yet seen, but yeah. you know they're going to be there in life and yeah. behind us. Behind yeah. us is a little harder to make it work, but if you guilt, think of, guilt, guilt, or skeletons in the closet. Uh huh. Right. Because by the way, in the Bible, sometimes milafanimu meachor does mean time. Right. It uh, yeah. in Bible. In the Tanakh, sometimes those are used as meta- metaphors for future time and past time because it imagines us that we are 
physically walking through life. That which is before me is a, ahead of, we would call it ahead, right? Same way in ahead, ahead in English could mean in space or in time. And behind in English can also mean in space or in time. That's behind me, mm-hmm. right? Right. It means it's in the past. So it could go, yes. So that could mean time. Larry. By the way, it could mean time. And I want to say that's interpretive. And it's interpretive, which is based on good literary use in the Tanakh. So it's not totally made up interpretive. You can root that in how those words, milfanim and meachor, are sometimes um, uh, used in the Torah. Larry? I just wanted to explain one reason why um, this this particular prayer was so personal for me. It became... Yeah. It became a very important prayer in, in our synagogue in Maputo, Mozambique. And it was not a very, it was, a, yeah, as many of you may know, if you've heard me talk about it, different sort of community. But this prayer became very personal and important for people, especially the phrase, which appears one time during the weekday and three three times in, a, in, in various forms yeah. um, on Shabbat. Yeah. So much so that I don't know if Mike is Mike is giving me screen sharing permission. Sorry, Alan, could you mute, please? Um, so let's see if this is going to work. Do, do you see that picture? Uh-huh. So yeah. in the entranceway to the shul, you can see right in the middle it says uh-huh. and on the right is the English translation, on the left is the Portuguese translation. So when you walked into the shul, um, that's what you that's what you saw immediately. Um, and many people who didn't, I'm going to end the screen sharing. Yeah. Many people who, 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 they, 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 most of them didn't speak Hebrew. A few of them spoke Hebrew, understood it at at all. Um, that phrase, and we also sang the Hashkiveno to a melody became really important. And that concept of spreading your shelter of peace over us became, I would say, almost a, a theme for the community and for many individuals who told me over over time that just that very thought and saying it in the prayer um, was both inspirational and very comforting. And that's one of the reasons why I find this prayer so powerful. Great. Thank you. If, if I can ask you, to, if you can share briefly, why was that phrase selected for the front of the Bed Knesset? Was there something about the history of the community or something like that that made that phrase feel particularly relevant? It's a lovely phrase. So it, there, doesn't, there doesn't have to be a good, uh, uh, a concrete answer to my question. I'm just interested to know how was that verse selected? Well, it, it, not because of any historical reason of, of being um, oppressed or being threatened. Got it. That's what in, was behind my question. Yeah. In, in general, the Jewish community in Mozambique was uh, and continues to be supported and embraced, even though it is n- not just a minority, but a minuscule community. Yeah. So that's that wasn't the reason. It was more because of what was happening at Friday night services. And I, just if I could just add, because the way in which we ran services where different individuals would lead different prayers in, in one of the three languages, uh-huh. um, that became the one, like the most honored prayer to be able to say. Mm. So, got um, it. Got it, it. It became very me. It it, mm-hmm. it it was it grew on itself. Great, great. Thank you for sharing, Alan. I might not call on you again. I'm just warning you. Okay, now I want everyone to turn to another page in the Sim Shalom, 
page 244. And in the Slim Shalom, 168. 244 or 168. And what do we have here? We have here the bedtime Shema service. This is kind of, uh, it's, it's three pages, which I want to tell you is a somewhat abridged, two to three pages, which is a somewhat abridged version of the bedtime Shema service, Kriyat Shema Al Hamitah, if you look like in a complete traditional Siddur. But notice there's an opening bracha. Then you say one paragraph of the Shema. Although I've said this in the past, I'm going to say it again. If you said Shema early before three stars were out, if you dab into Mariv before it was dark, you're actually supposed to say all three paragraphs of the Shema now in bed. Okay. If you said Shema on time after dark, then you only say the first paragraph. And then look what we have after that. We have Hashkivenu, right? Except what do we not have at the end of Hashkivenu? Baruch Atah Hashem. And that's because it's not statutory, it's a minhag, meaning we say the bracha with Baruch Hashem in Mariv because the Mishnah says in the evening you say Shema with two blessings before and two blessings after, okay? So that's the blessing, and it's required by the Mishnah that we say a blessing, so we end with Baruch Hashem. Whereas in Kriyat Shema and bedtime, it's more like a meditation, sort of not a bracha. It's a prayer, but not a statutory bracha prayer. Okay. So I just want to point out that, um, and of course this heightens, I think the significance of Hashkivenu. And in our last five minutes today, I want to, I want to contemplate that and ask us to sort of step back. This is not a, uh, not a, there's a secret answer question, right? Uh, step back and say, why in Marif is this extra bracha added? It's not there in Shachrit, right? It, it was phrased as it's taken out in Shachrit. It's not taken out in Shachrit. I will ask you later, where is it in Shachrit? That's a kind of a trick question. So, but leave that aside. But what's, it's added, at, right? The Mishnah says in the morning, you read the Shema and you say two blessings before and one blessing after. At night, you read, the Shema, you say two blessings before and two blessings after, right? So the Mishnah is saying at night, there's something that's added to the Matbeya, to the framework of prayer. So why is Hashkivenu added? What sense, what weight does it have in the evening service? Toss-up question. I'm taking us back to the beginning of our discussion last week. <sighs> Raise your hand and wave at me if you want to offer an answer. Meyer. I, this may sound really strange, but for me, the the bracketed prayer in the Shachrit feels no. like it be... Yeah, no, don't go to Shachrit. I'm not asking that. Uh, I'm saying I, I for me, is reflecting something else. Okay. From Shachrit, in a sense. And, and, what, and that's why I'm saying bracketed in terms of going there. Uh-huh. Is I feel like the Tachanun... In a way that we go to bed and then we're dealing with the things that we go to bed and we wake up in the morning and uh-huh. all the things that we were deal- struggling with in the middle of the night. Yeah. And and, and the Hashki Venu is preparing us for that, I think. Okay. As we Good. enter. Night. And what are those things? If you could just elaborate on that, Meyer, what are those things? Um, those are the things that, you know, we wrestle with in the middle of the night and uh-huh. our fears. 
And I think uh-huh. that that helps, you know, having this, even this phrase of the satan in front of us and behind us, right? Uh-huh. And, and again, in the morning, when we come to the top of the service, we're yeah. basically wrestling in bed yeah. and, 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 and dealing with our fears there. It's Again, I think it feels like we're dealing with our uh, ourselves. Okay, fears. Let's do a little, I think now on Zoom and classroom management, they call this popcorn style, which means for people to say just one word, Right. Myra's word is fears. Any other words that come to mind? Comfort. Comfort. Mm-hmm. Sleep. Okay. Protection. Okay. Anxieties. Wholeness. Wholeness. Struggles. Got it. So notice we have a series of antonyms, fears, anxieties, struggles, obstacles we talked about, right? And the counterweight to that, which we're praying for in Hashki Venu, the, the antidote to that is wholeness, comfort, maybe sleep, okay? Uh, other key words in Hashki Venu that we could say, shelter, protection, mm-hmm. safety, okay? So Hashki Venu is about those negatives. Hashem protect us from it by providing those other things. So it's clear it's nighttime. It's, again, in the pre-modern world, scary time uh, because of, of, of bad guys and demons, right, and wild animals. Um, psychologically, worries, anxieties, fears. This is when the action of the day subsides and we're left just with our thoughts, okay? Um, and at a time when we may be more aware of obstacles and challenges, external, concrete, or external, spiritual, or internal, spiritual, or psychological, we ask Hashem to support us by providing safety, protection, shelter, right, from those kind, comfort from those kinds of things. Larry? Briefly, we're asking for a good night's sleep. (laughs) Not to, to dream pleasantly and yeah. not have nightmares, yeah. not have a disturbed sleep. Yeah. Because that's the time where it's not just that it's dark, but in the daytime we can yes. see what's going on and think uh-huh. about it. At night, you have no control over how what you're thinking, dreaming, hearing uh-huh. about. Good. Ilana, you want to add? Yeah, just, just to say that uh, the reason we pray for peace and comfort and shelters because like it's night and we're more aware of the threats. Good. Yeah. So Meyer said that for him, Tachnun is sort of the, I'm going to fill in psychological and spiritual analog. Is that a fair statement, Meyer, for Hashkivenu? In Shachrit, what's the, I don't know if it's the inverse or the converse. I can never remember from math or logic what's inverse and what's converse but what's kind of the op the psychological opposite of hashkivenu right so the psychological weight of hashkivenu at night is it's nighttime it's scary time there are adversaries i need protection that's the psychological mood at night what prayer captures the psychological mood of morning joanna modani modani or I'm going to expand that and say 
all of Birchot HaShachar, because what's all of Birchot HaShachar about? I can see, I can walk, I'm putting my clothes on. And then the closing blessing, So Hashem, I'm ready to go and do Torah and mitzvahs, and I'm go- going out into the world. So Birchot HaShachar is the section of the davening, which launches us into the day with optimism. I'm going to go out and go get them and do mitzvahs because I got all of these working functions and you created me and you woke me up again. And we're looking forward to the day. That's the psycho. I'm going to say that's the psychological tone of Birchot um, HaShachar, the psychological tone of Hashkivenu. Um, and this is why, of course, it's repeated in bedtime Shema, right? When it's really dark and when you're really alone right? You're not in a minion anymore. You're not even upright. You're actually reclining in bed, right? Uh, at, you know, with my little yarmulke next to my, you know, nightstand that I put on my head when I say bedtime. Sometimes I don't even have the energy to do that. I'll sort of pull a pillow like partly over my head and consider that to be in place of a kippah is, you know, it's the contemplation of the dark, the scary, the obstacle, the adversarial, the worry, the anxiety. Hashem, please provide a good night's sleep. Comfort, shelter, security, safety, right? So Hashkivenu in some ways, I think, is the psychological opposite and bookend with Birchot HaShachar. So it can either correspond to worries about the negative, like in Tachnun, okay, in the morning, or it can be kind of the opposite of Birchot HaShachar psychologically. So we launch ourselves into the day, optimistically, and we, uh, you might say, I don't mean to phrase it too negatively, you know, we, we collapse out of the day, you know, potentially with worry, fear, anxiety, right? And at the time of day when everything is quiet, in the morning, we're thinking about all the things we're going to do today, right? In the evening, all the doing is done, and we're left with our own thoughts, fears, and we ask Hashem to provide us with safety, security, comfort, right? To make sure that we don't go to bed fearfully or worrying about the bad stuff in the world. Okay. There we go. It's 8.50. We're five minutes over. Next week, God willing, we will go on to the long, quote unquote, optional prayer after Hashkivenu, the thing between Hashkivenu and the Amida. Between now and next week, I'm going to try to find out if that prayer has a name. I've never, I've never heard of it referred to as a name, but I'll try to look into that. Okay. All right. Thanks everyone. As we launch into the day, everyone have a great day. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.